Hello and welcome to Switchbacks, a travel podcast where we reflect on our year visiting all 59 U.S. national parks. Whether you're planning to visit your very first park or you bleed gray and green, we're here to share our insights on exploring, understanding, and loving America's best idea. So thanks for tuning in. Today we're talking about two of our favorite cities that surround and support national park visitors and how they enhance our experience. We'll also answer a listener voicemail about how we planned for our multi-climate wardrobe. All right, well, we are recording our podcast today from a different spot. We usually always record our podcast from the same little kitchen table, and now we're at a different kitchen table because we moved. That's right. Our 4th of July weekend didn't have any bratwursts, cookouts, or do-it-yourself fireworks. We did go see some fireworks on on the 4th of July. My 4th of July's never have do-it-yourself fireworks. That's true. Because my dad is an eye doctor, and he frowned upon all sorts of fireworks no i loved setting off fireworks as a kid but i haven't done that in a long time must be because i'm with you probably i'm just holding you back holding me back from blowing my eyes out that's for sure you're very welcome yeah so we are surrounded by a few dozen boxes probably mostly empty now though a few dozen less boxes fewer boxes than this morning though because i went through a ton of stuff today yeah so basically we're just piecing it together we moved into a small one bedroom apartment but it's perfect for us it's um you know cole's got one more year of school left and we're still in this sort of funky transition and it's awesome just to have our own space we finally you know unpacked all of our stuff from when we originally stored it for this giant national parks trip so that's been two years and now we finally have unpacked everything and it's kind of nice to just like see our wedding photos again and um, use our own dishes and really get because I, I really like putting together a space and so I've been like have all I've had all this pent up energy <laughs> from our time on the road and then our time living in um, you know house sitting for somebody else and so it's yeah. just it's it's been fun in the last couple of days to really put some stuff together yeah and i want to take this opportunity to give a huge shout out and thank you publicly uh, to those family friends who allowed us to come back from our year-long trip and basically you know take over live in um their mothers their grandmas their mother-in-law's uh house for you know, almost a year, and that was. Um, sometimes they listen, so maybe they're maybe they're out there hearing this. But if they wouldn't have um, so graciously let us use and kind of help maintain that house um, over these last few months when it would otherwise be vacant, we um, would have had a really tough time coming back and affording, you know, rent in the city and everything. So that was incredibly generous. And that's, you know, a big um, reason we were able to come back and so quickly get back on our feet, so quickly get, 
you know, put the money towards other things that we needed to put it towards. Um, so yeah, we just, you know, not everybody has that really lucky break, but, um, that was, that was really nice of, of some people who supported us coming back. And now, like Elizabeth said, we're in our own place and that also feels really good just to, mm-hmm. um, unpack to, for Elizabeth to do all her designy stuff. Uh, make it just how we want and also be a little closer to things we do every day like uh, go to Wash U or even I'm close to the metro where that I'm taking downtown to um, my internship every day. Anyway, Elizabeth's giving me the wrap-up sign. So (laughs) the bottom line is we're we're, excited. We're excited to be... We're uh, excited and we hope the the quality of the sound is pretty good too. Yeah. In our new place. So you'll have to let us know. We'll find out. Yeah. Um, so we are going, you want to go ahead and get started with today? Today is a big deal, guys. This is a big podcast because we're on the record of saying that, uh, that the two parks we're talking about today, Acadia National Park in Maine and Olympic National Park in Washington are among our top five national parks of all time. Yeah. So it was a little bit of a pressure uh, when we saw that these two parks just happened to be paired up because if you listen to the podcast, you know that we like to pair up two parks that have some topic in common and talk about both of them. Uh, this topic so happens to be gateway cities. And at each of these top five national parks, we had top five gateway cities that really uh, top enhanced. two gateway cities. Yeah, I'd say yeah. our favorite, our two favorite gateway cities is are what we're going to be talking about today. So we're still on this theme. This is our last podcast of the theme on the beaten path, which we've been talking about for the last few weeks. So we've been talking about um, some of our favorite short trails. We've been talking about our big city getaways. We've been talking about just this overall idea of how to. Um, you know, how to balance visiting a national park, but also maybe living in a city. Or today we're going to be talking about how to um, balance some of these urban conveniences with natural solitude. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. You ready to get started? Let's do it up first, Acadia National Park. And it's Gateway City of Bar Harbor, Maine. Yeah, so our favorite things, what we love specifically about this city, Bar Harbor, is that it was super walkable. Um, we, we, we just parked one place and then walked all around this little city. It had a lo- lot of local shops, not very many chain, you know, restaurants and, uh, yeah, chain stores or anything. It had a lot of stuff to do in the evening which was good in no we visited in november so it got dark pretty quickly um it was also easy easy, easily access accessed from the park um and specifically this this was city was really nice because it offered um rainy day activities yeah and it rained while we were here in acadia it was it was cold and it was pretty rainy and some days were cloudy um and so it was a really nice retreat from our time in the park. Yeah, so we were 
in the National Park and Bar Harbor for a total back and forth for a total of four days or so. We didn't sleep in Bar Harbor. We were camping, you know, as we always did in the National Park. But um, like Elizabeth said, we came over to the city um, pretty much once a day. Mm -hmm. And some of the really cool things we did were, um, well, number one, our favorite was go to a place called Real Pizza. Yep, R-E-E-L, Real Pizza. It's a movie theater, a little tiny independent movie theater with two two different theaters. They had kind of, um, it seemed like their, their pattern was like one mainstream movie and one sort of indie movie going on at the same time. We actually saw The Martian um, when it was in theaters, and we were surprised that it was at this theater at the same time. Um, and the cool thing is that they have really cheap, relative to other movie theaters, super affordable food options. However, it still wasn't affordable enough for us, apparently. I don't remember exactly why we didn't get the pizza, but I remember that somebody... We had right- had lobster rolls earlier that day. Oh, so we were probably <laughs> tapped out on our food budget. Right. Anyway, the person right next to us had a big plate of pizza and I was super jealous and then they ended up not getting to their last piece and offered it to us. So that was my favorite part. So we got part. scraps. Getting the scraps. <laughs> but we can vouch for the deliciousness of the pizza. It was so good and we would totally when we when we return, it's not if, but when we return to Acadia National Park, we will be going to real pizza and we will be getting some pizza cuz it was really good. They also had popcorn and a lot of other different snacks and stuff, but it was just a really cool little independent local um kind of hole in the wall-ish movie theater. Yeah, and then speaking of the lobster roll, r- Earlier in the day, before that, we went to a place called Thirsty Whale. And Thirsty Whale is, I don't know, it's just one of those pubs uh, with a real northeastern feel, authentic feel. And we had heard that you got to get a lobster roll when you're in Maine. So that's what we did. It's basically a hot um, dog-shaped cylinder of lobster meat. And that sounds really much grosser than it is. It's like a sub bun. Okay. With with lobster meat in it. It's not a hot dog shaped Also lobster. known as a hot dog shaped cylinder of lobster. That sounds disgusting. <laughs> I would never have gotten that. Okay, here though. It was slightly overrated, right? Yes. In our opinion. There's probably super good lobster rolls out there. Um, this one we had at Thirsty Whale, we split one. So we got two entrees and then one of them was a, a lobster roll. One of them was like chicken fingers or something. And we just split both yeah. of them. For a $14, you know, hot dogs worth of meat. <laughs> Stop saying that. <laughs> I would, I would expect a little more. Yeah. And it, probably if I went back, I would just get a regular lobster or split a regular lobster yeah. with you. And it would probably be really fresh and Right. Better. So throughout the other, the rest of the city, we also really liked um, just a lot of the little local shops that had crafts and... Paintings. There was some good art. Yep, definitely. Just walking around looking at the shops was really cool. I got my boots there, my Merrells 
that oh, yeah, I they actually had some outdoor stores too. Yeah, that because my other ones were falling apart, and I wore those the rest of the trip. So October through um, August, July, uh, the next year, they served me well. Yeah, another cool thing you can do from the city is walk across to Bar Island, which you can only access at low tide. You can just walk across to this island. And if you climb up, I mean, hike up this slightly slight hill, it's not much of a hill, but you can get a a pretty cool view of the whole city. So I recommend doing that. You have to time it right because you can only do it twice a day at low tide. Um, but it was a, it was definitely worth doing. It's, it's like a quarter of a mile to walk out to the island. And then you can say you've walked out to an island. Yeah, it was kind of fun. Just And it wasn't, you know, the window of low tide for going over and back was pretty wide. Right. Um, You're not going to be sprinting, like outrunning the wall of water coming at you or anything. You'll be fine. Although that would be awesome. Yes. So again, the reason why this this city was really helpful for us at the time was a lot of it was due to weather. So we had a lot of cold, rainy um weather throughout our time in Acadia and we wanted just sort of a a shelter from that and also some alternate entertainment that the park wasn't necessarily providing. Do you remember the puppet show we went to? We did. I do. Yeah. I think I wrote that down somewhere. Oh, really? It's, uh, that was just another one of those random things. This small little town just happened to have a puppet show that I don't even remember. It was for children, and we went to it anyway. Yeah, it was definitely for children, and (laughs) I don't think there are any other people there our age without children, for sure. So it was fun, though. I mean, it was pretty good. Yeah. There were, like, three people there. One one ran the lights, and the other two ran all the puppets, and it was just a real homegrown type thing. Oh, it was Sleepy Hollow. Is the legend of Sleepy Hollow... And it's pretty funny because they had the horsemen. Because it was for children. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, um, it was a really cool experience. Like our our experience in the city was also nice because it was the off season. So for the off season in Acadia, that you're in, you're out of that summer window. I think you're more likely to have some of these rougher weather patches. So, and, and Bar Harbor is really uncrowded during that time. So we got, that was another reason why our experience was so nice. If you're there during the peak season, we can't necessarily vouch for the the, uh, overall ambiance of the city because for us it was pretty empty. Yeah, that's a great point. So let's get to the park a little bit because it was one of our favorite, you know, take Bar Harbor away. I think it would still be at the oh, very definitely. top of our list. Definitely. Um, so it's, you know, way up on the coast of Maine, and it's um, just in general, it's got huge forests with that are right on the ocean, and then there are also just tons of lakes peppered throughout these um, mountains and forests. So uh, you especially liked it, I think. I absolutely loved Acadia. When we were driving away from Acadia, I was looking up properties, houses to buy around Bar Harbor. Um, I, I love it. I loved it so much. Just everything about it. The the fall colors, we, we got there slightly past peak season, so there were not very many people. 
but still amazing, amazing colors. So we had pretty sunny days, some some rainy days. Um, it was pretty cold, but not too bad. I, th I think I just liked the, I don't know, the forest, the rocks, the water all combined together. You, we didn't get that very much in other parks. So it was just a really unique, gorgeous, gorgeous park. And the timing was perfect. I mean, beyond the iffy weather, we were there at, I think, peak color changing uh, for the trees. I don't see how it could have gotten much better. I don't know. You're you don't think it was past, slightly past peak, like I just said? You, oh, I guess I must have not been listening. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're like touching your phone. Yeah, because I'm, I'm trying attention. to keep track of the time because... <laughs> Anyway, it, um, it like all of a lot of the activities had stopped. A lot of the parts of the park were inaccessible. Um, the, there were no ranger programs at that point, so it was slightly past peak fall color season when they had all of their events around the season. Nominal peak color season, yes. Like when you say it's peak, I agree. But what we saw, I don't. No, I don't if you know could if it get better yeah. than that you're because right. it, we you're just right. we just watched the video to kind of get uh, a jog our memory. Uh, you know, on our blog switchbackkids.com, we have videos of all the parks, so we've gotten in the habit now of rewatching them before we do the podcast on them. And the colors, such they're pretty spectacular, bright burning red leaves with you know golden, pure gold. Um, Le I don't know other leaves <laughs> it was it was just really really gorgeous and then you had the evergreens there too just adding all the the green and the dark dark navy blues mm -hmm. um, the peaks uh, the the little peaks of granite coming through I think it's granite I think so. Some think dark right. colored rock yep. that was the mountains were made out of. So as far as the activities that we did at the park, our favorite activities, the I think the second morning we were there, we woke up for the, the sunrise at Cadillac Mountain, which is really famous in the park system and in everyone who is a traveler anywhere because it's the first uh, bit of light that the, the United States sees because it's the highest point on the eastern seaboard. And so I think for about eight months out of the year, it's technically the first light. I think the other four months, there's it's technically somewhere else just because of the way the sun is situated. Um, but it's a really cool bucket list thing to do. It was a gorgeous sunrise. It was freezing, so bring a lot of clothes and blankets. Um, uh, later that day, that same day, this was like maybe one of my favorite days in the whole parks, all any of the parks that we visited last year. Uh, we hiked the Precipice Trail, which was really short. I think total it was about three miles round trip. Um, the actual Precipice part is only a mile from the parking lot up to the top, but it's climbing and you're exposed and you're walking on ledges and you're um, climbing up iron rungs that have been drilled into the rocks straight into the rocks and so it's uh not necessarily for people who are really afraid of heights but I'm afraid of heights and it was fine I never felt too dangerous or anything uh too unsafe but it was my favorite trail in the park and one of our favorite short I think we talked about it on our favorite short hikes episode mm -hmm. yep and 
then we were also shedding our all our layers because we had come from Cadillac and then we got on this trail where we were uh, pretty vigorously climbing in the sun and just you know yeah, getting in the, super hot. In the video hot. you can see me I have two coats tied around my waist and I'm still wearing a big jacket. So I've I've got I was a little bit uh stupid with how i (laughs) how i started that hike but anyway but we'll get to some of that uh layering and yes possible stupidity later um anyway the that was a gold trail and then one that was a close second i i think that was also super good was the um what is it called the bumble uh, beehive the beehive Beehive trail Mm -hmm. which was in the same area uh, and it, it lots similar, of similar climbing up to really good views yeah, of the bay. similar experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the views from Precipice were mo- much better, but I do know, depending on what time you visit the park, part of this trail is closed off for, um, for like mating season of or nesting of some of the birds. So I know this trail is closed for part of the year. So the Beehive is a great alternative when the Precipice Trail is closed. Yeah, so that is on um, the Acadia as a national park is on Mount Desert Island, and this these first couple places we're talking about are on the the big section of that island. Um, if you look at it, it's kind of shaped like a, a deer hoof or something. Um, so the bigger section had precipice beehive and if you keep going along the road which is called i don't know park road or something anyway after precipice we kept going along the road and we got to uh, the sandy beach because there are really cool sandy beaches there there's uh thunder hole which is a place where the water flows in and is supposed to create this huge thundering effect uh in this cavern area of the coast so go there during like stormy um tides and i don't know what were some of the other highlights of acadia we also we liked uh walking around jordan pond they have a nice it has a really nice boardwalk trail part part of its boardwalk part of it's just a trail that goes around the pond and it's flat and it's about three miles all the way around but off of this trail you can hike up to what's called the bubbles and that was a fun little just like side detour um that got us you know climbing a little bit and then we hiked back down and we continued our way around and then we decided to treat ourselves again which we regretted slightly because popovers are stupid (laughs) yeah so one of the traditional acadia and maybe even all main uh treats is called a popover it's basically a little pastry that is i don't even know how to describe it um crescent roll shaped maybe it's hollow on the inside and it's yeah, I don't know. It's just like it was good. It was fine. It was like flaky and yeah, empty f- and expensive. <laughs> yeah, that's the main thing. You get you pay I don't know eight dollars for two of these things, and then all I want to do is put as much jelly as I can on them <laughs> so they have some flavor. Yeah, we're not sophisticated enough for popovers and tea. I guess obviously not. we tried. We just 
uh, I'm surprised they let us in the restaurant with our grubby selves just strolling in there. <laughs> Another really nice area of the park that doesn't get as much attention as Jordan Pond especially is called, uh, it's literally called The Quiet Side. Uh, so that's the quiet side of Mount Desert Island has a much less visited area of Acadia where there's the seawall campground, the seawall um, path, and you can just get some really cool trails that take you right along the coast and you can get close up with some tide pools, um, all different types of other trails through the mountains. I visited I went on a little solo hike and saw a really Beach cool Mountain. fire tower. Yeah, I think that's where it was. It was. Be- Beach, Beach Mountain. Beach Mountain. That's a really cool trail, too. Mm-hmm. So, again, just plenty of views from these mountains of the valleys, of the lakes that are dotting the inland, and then also the coast. Um, ah, just so much, so much classic northeastern forested beauty. Um, but there's definitely, like, for all that we did at Acadia, I would want to go back. There's so much um, more that we didn't do. A yeah. lot of the islands that we didn't get to, to camp on. Cranberry Island and Isleford. I would love to go back there, take the U.S. mail boat, uh, and, you know, just ride out to those islands and camp. I want to go to Schooner Point, or Skodik, Skodik Point. Uh, which is a whole nother section of the park that's fairly new. Uh, I want to bike the carriage roads. Yeah, we walked the carriage roads a little bit because yeah. we didn't have our bikes at that point. But we that's another really unique would love thing. to go back. It's like packed gravel, so it's really nice for biking. Um, and there's just miles and miles and miles. 45 miles. Yeah, tons of tons of uh, mileage and of that's, this, these trails. It's left over from when John D. Rockefeller, basically Acadia, was his private getaway from New York. And he when he donated basically the whole land for the park to Acadia... They kept these carriage roads intact. They're great bike trails, and they're resurfaced every 10 to 15 years. I was just reading an article out today about how the NPS was spending $400,000 to uh, resurface a section around Jordan Pond. So they're, uh, they're expensive to keep up, but they're very worth it. So go enjoy it. Anything else to add about Acadia? We, if we have not sold it enough yet, you should go look at our other content that we have written about it because we just cannot stop talking about Acadia. We love it. We loved it so much, and we're just itching to get back there as soon as we can. Yeah, and it's surprising given how kind of cruddy the weather was that it still made that good of an impression. Exactly, and we might have to go back up there at some point because I've heard some uh, some you know, rumblings, rumblings of uh, a possible Katahdin National Park. And we will have to visit that one. We'll have to visit our number 60 if that happens. That's so. right. Right now it's Northwoods National Memorial, right? Uh, I think. Isn't that what you said? It's, I, I guess that so. whole it, area is a recent national, a national monument, monument, I think, not a memorial. Oh, yeah. National I monument. I thought it was just called Katahdin, but. I think it's Northwoods National but it includes Monument, Katahdin. designated yeah. by Obama in the last year or so. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so moving on to our second park that we're going to be talking about today. 
The Gateway City is Port Angeles, Washington, and the park is none other than Olympic National Park. And when people ask me what my favorite park is, you know, we get that question all the time. And uh, some we started by saying uh, we can't pick one. We have five. But sometimes you just have to, like, have an answer ready. So what I say is Olympic National Park, I think. And it, it's, you know. That's a high compliment. It, very high. And I can't, you know, there are so many so many great parks, but this one is at least tied. And this uh, is another for the park that we still didn't see much of it. We really saw a lot of the perimeter of it without going into the mountains much because we visited in May and it was still pretty early for mountain exploration season. Right. So, do we want to talk about Let's Port talk about Angeles the city first. first? So, Port Angeles is an awesome coastal city. Uh, just I guess north. Oops, just just about straight west of Seattle, across the Sound. Um, and what we loved about this city is that it was pretty small, but not too small. So it was still about twenty thousand people or so. Um, it had some, you know, it had a Safeway, it had a Starbucks, it had some of those con- uh, chain conveniences, but it also had a lot of local shops. So it had a nice downtown area where we could walk around with some different outdoor stores, even some used outdoors gear stores, which was cool. Um, Some different shops, really, really good food. And then it was just so close to accessing the Hurricane Ridge area of the park. And then also the old growth forest part. So the Solduck Falls and um, Marymere Falls, Lake Crescent, all of those um, popular areas of the park. It was really good for accessing that. Yeah, and it's has, you know, like she said, plenty of accommodations. One restaurant we loved specifically was called Next Door Gastro Pub. Yeah, we had really interesting burgers. Yeah. They had really I had a peanut butter and jelly burger and it was really really interesting and good. It just kind of like a flavor explosion. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. That's uh I would say it's worth a check out especially if you're kind of new to gastro pubs um one really cool thing they did was that you could leave a you could will a beer to somebody uh and they would write it on the wall and what type of beer that you were willing this person buying for them yeah meaning you buy it and they come in however far down the road in the future and they could just find their name and say Hand me my beer. Yeah. Yep. We also got some food from a little, a small little grocery store that was really cute called Country Air. And it was like a healthy food store. And so I, I remember getting some snacks there. And then we, the one of the perks I think of this city was that we were able to connect with the Visitors Bureau there. And they, uh, we worked with them a little bit to promote the city. This is all... Uh, beyond that obligation (laughs) Um, because we loved Port Angeles so much regardless of of this but we did get to stay at a hotel which was awesome because my family was visiting so my parents came to this park with us so we stayed at the Red Lion which um, was really really nice and just right on the water 
that was probably my favorite part of the city was where we were staying in that gorgeous view we had yep right out the window of the um room you could walk out onto the little little patio and there's right on the bike path yeah a nice little bike path that goes along the shore um and then the piers you could just go right outside the hotel and walk onto the pier uh, and then climb Climb up the little watchtower yeah. or whatever that is. And you could get an awesome view of the city with the mountains in the background. And it was uh, just a really cool way to get oriented. Um, and like I said, specifically beneficial for us because of our family. So, you know, not everyone wants to be in the parks 24-7. So people who, I, my parents especially, I think appreciate some comforts um, at the end of, the, of a long like hiking day. Well, and who doesn't, right? Who doesn't love like a beer at the end of a long hiking day? Um, and so that was really nice to just share that with them and not have to rough it the whole time. We still got a lot of time in the parks and then we got a little, a, a lot of time just relaxing um, outside of the park too. So that that's what we loved about Port Angeles was this opportunity to, to you know, have a, to, to work hard in the park and then play hard, <laughs> I guess, or that's really like playing hard and playing hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> our, our work is so hard. <laughs> no, one unique thing about our experience in Olympic 2 was that we actually split up the visit. And this was maybe the only time that we did this where we went for a few days into the park and then we went out. Uh, and that was with your parents that we went for two days, basically. Into the Hurricane Ridge area. Yeah. And the Port Sol Angeles Duck. area. And then we went back out to Seattle, spent some time there, came back on our own for another three days. And during that three days, we got farther, deeper into the park. But we also had to pass through Port Angeles again. And that's when we were able to hook up with two of our really good friends who had we had met throughout the and connected with throughout the trip matt and ashley uh or mashley as they're known on their blog and social media so it's always fun when we can see some people who we've met online and we had a really nice dinner with them in port angeles at a totally new restaurant um so besides that, though, on that second time in, we got out to the um, coast. And the well, coast... Well, you were missing what, the coolest thing that we did. Oh, Which okay. Which we got to do a flight seeing tour. Yes, of yes. The, um, of the Olympics with Wright Meaning Brothers. the mountain range. Yeah, the Olympics, yeah. the Olympic mountain range. Um, the With Wright Brothers aviation so that was the name of the little small um, airline company they do short flights and then they also do flight seeing tours out of port angeles and since we could not hike uh, in the upper elevations since we couldn't you know do a long backpacking trip in the mountains this wasn't such an amazing way to see the mountains up close and up way closer than we ever could hike to for sure yeah, and this was a really awesome connection that we made through the Visitors Bureau again, um, but it really allowed us to get a full scope of the park and crisscross the mountains, Mount Olympus, especially the tallest you know, of all, 
and they were just so snowy and so pristine. It was gorgeous being able to circle those and then also get a really good view of stuff like Crescent Lake and the valleys where the rivers were flowing down, Ho River, the Elwha River, uh, and then even the city of Port Angeles, we were able to fly over that too. Uh, mm-hmm. So really amazing views. A really awesome bonus. But then we did head out to the coast. Well, so. actually, we even forgot the stormy point hike that we did. Storm King Mountain. Oh, nice Storm try, King though. Mountain. <laughs> we hiked up to Storm King Mountain, which is a local favorite hike. It's short. It's sweet. It's super steep. Um, it's it's about two miles up, two miles down, and you're at one point you're climbing, like re- having to use a rope to help you because it's really steep. But at the end, you get this gorgeous like this gorgeous view of Lake Crescent, and from way up, from like way you've, up. you've climbed twenty seven hundred feet or something. We'd highly recommend it, Storm King Mountain. It's a it's it's a hike that's just directly off of the trail um, to a, to one of the falls. So next, then we did drive out to the coast. Yeah, that was, I think, my favorite part. Um, So it's a totally separate part of the park. The park land uh, does not connect to the coast uh, section. But it's a really thin strip of coast, and there's a few different beaches, and some of them you can drive to, like first beach, second beach, Uh, but some you can only hike to. We explored some of the first two beaches, and then we did a backpacking overnight, basically. Probably our best back, one of our best backpacking trips of the entire, of our entire year in the parks. Yeah. Wouldn't you say? I I would totally say that. Um, We, we hiked out to a point called Toliak Point, and that's where, around there is where we back, where we camped. Um, we, you need a permit, so go get a permit first before you start hiking, obviously. Um, and then, But they had all these campgrounds, campsites that were kind of set up, and they were marked by, by old buoys, which was just a really interesting touch. Um, so you could there were just these big buoys hanging from the trees, and you knew that indicated a campsite. Because otherwise, you would never be able to tell. They're just mm-hmm. set in... You know, you're walking along the beach because there's no trail, which is another really cool thing. You're just walking almost completely along the beach, uh, and then you look in, and there's just a little buoy marking this campground that's set just behind the tree line. Right. One of our favorite settings for a campsite, too. Just amazing. We had these a couple giant sea stacks right outside of our... um, like right outside of our tent window and in our view. And we were arriving at our tent site around sunset because we had to time it really, really specifically with the tides um, for getting around certain points, for hiking around certain points. So definitely plan out your trip ahead of time uh, with the rangers so they can show you the current conditions and tides and everything. Um, but so we, we got into our campsite right around sunset. We, we made dinner and just watched this gorgeous uh, sunset with the the vivid colors just the sea stacks silhouetted against um against the view and it was just definitely something i'll never forget yeah really magical and then in the morning 
we woke up and the tide had receded so far it was really cool to see what the tide had left behind it had uncovered you know yards and yards of these tide pools these um, little critters vegetation and you could just walk out there and explore so I liked that a lot too Um, and you could go down we probably went out I don't know seven miles from the parking lot I, I don't remember exactly how far Toliak was it wasn't that far I think to it was a, a few miles because we, we started yeah. after dinner or no not not after dinner no. but we started around 6 p.m and we got there around like 9 p.m we didn't leave our car until like pretty late until evening but if you want to you can make it a super long uh, backpacking trip along the um, coast. Yeah, there and are a I, lot of possibilities. Yeah, we've heard it's all just that gorgeous. But uh, the little section we went on was amazing because beyond the sea stacks, beyond walking along the um, beach, you would have these sections where you would have to climb over outcroppings. So you would have to cut in to the woods and climb up and over. And then at, at one point we had the this waterfall that was pouring off the outcropping directly into the ocean so that was a really cool and rare tidal fall i think it's one of two in the u.s so plenty of beauty plenty of unique stuff along the coast um but that wasn't even it i know the (laughs) the diversity of olympic is probably what blew my mind and made it my favorite because after the coast we got to the Ho Rainforest. That was another amazing part of the park. If you're going, if you're visiting Olympic and, you know, just kind of maybe you don't have a ton of time and you're just trying to hit some of the highlights, definitely pop into the Ho Rainforest and hike. There are a lot of short trails. There are some longer trails that start from around here too. Um, we also camped in this area and the, we really liked the campground. Um, it was so lush and just everything around the Ho Rainforest it's the only rainforest in the lower 48. Um, and so that that in itself was a really cool experience just to be in. And then just walking around some of the trails, um, some of the main short trails, is just dripping with greenery. The Hall of Mosses is the classic one. Yep, yep. And then you can also just tra- follow the, the river. Uh, on the Ho Trail, I think it's called, as long as you want. We went down a couple miles and then turned around, and uh, it's on that trail that there's something called the um, quietest um, place in the world, or I just had the name of it, but I forgot. Yeah, I remember reading about that. It's where they do do experiments, right, and studies with noise. I think mostly it just got famous and a spot that kind of people seek out because some conservationist picked this random spot. He's like a advocate for silence and no noise areas. So he picked this spot um, as the quietest place in the world. And So very, very many reasons to visit this area. Exactly. And that was our last 
you know, section of Olympic that we visited. So we've got, to recap, we've got the Hurricane Ridge area of mountains. We've got the old growth forest area with waterfalls and lakes. We have the coast area with amazing beaches and sea stacks. And then we had the whole rainforest area with just lush, green, dripping, mossy trees everywhere. So Olympic is definitely diverse, definitely one of our favorite parks, and definitely a park that we have unfinished business because we didn't get to do very much hiking. And we, you know, hiking is our big thing. So when we return to Olympic, we'll definitely be doing some hiking up in the mountains. I know there are some some hot springs that you can hike to, you can backpack to, so that's on my list for sure. And I think I can probably rope Cole into doing that with me. That would not be a hard sell. <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, and just fact-checking myself here, it's called the one square inch of silence, and it is deemed the quietest place in the U.S., so super cool little super little uh, factoid there. Exactly. Yeah. So if we have not, again, just like Acadia, if you want more of Olympic, we've got a lot more information on our blog. Um, we really can't describe it well enough. So you exactly I super you recommend looking up the video just for a little taste because um, the video of Olympic is gorgeous in itself. And you can see our views from the flight seeing tour, too, which was completely unique. Um, yeah, definitely not something we got to indulge in ever. <laughs> <laughs> so let's see. We loved Acadian Bar Harbor. We absolutely loved uh, Olympic and Port Angeles. But we did have a few runners up just really quickly. Right, talking about, so since this podcast is all about our, our favorite gateway cities, remember, gateway cities are the just the communities that surround the national parks and they're basically built on tourism. These are usually not large cities. So yes, last week we talked about big cities um, like Seattle. That's a really good hub for national parks. And LA gave really good, you know, a good get, a getaway from LA was Channel Islands. And Big cities like Tucson, Arizona, was is right next to Saguaro National Park. But we are talking about gateway cities that are basically built on the um, to support the national parks. And here are some of our runners up beyond Bar Harbor and Port Angeles. Number one, we got Moab, which serves Arches and Canyonlands National Park in Utah. And Moab is. I don't know. I hesitate almost to call it a gateway city because it is a destination in its own right. Super popular adventure city, world-class mountain biking and everything. So worth a trip uh, and just take a few days to just explore the, the town. Second, Ventura, California, which is what which is where you ferry to Channel Islands. So yes, it's close to LA, but it's closest to Ventura because that's where you get on the ferry. And this city is just a little beach town right on, and I call it a town, but it's pretty big. It's fairly big. It has like a little downtown area. Um, It has really cool views that you can just easily drive up to and get a view of the beach and the ocean and um, some of the best 
fish tacos we've ever had. <laughs> yeah, classic California beach vibes, though. Right. We uh, Another city in California we really loved was Visalia, and that city is inland. It's It serves Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Parks, and... This is an, this was another city that was just small enough and big enough, perfect for us. It was a little bit bigger, so it even had things like concerts and some festivals and things like that going on. So if you need a, a you know, a base for exploring some of these um, national parks in the area, I know they have a big trip that they do from Visalia where you can hit sequoia king's canyon and yosemite in like three days so it 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 serves as a pretty good home base for a bigger trip like that number four jackson wyoming right outside of grand teton and just a bit north of that is the yellowstone and jackson is um just beautiful surrounded by mountains it's really close to this huge elk reserve and just a classic um you know kind mountain of city yeah mountain yeah town. mountain city really cool stone and wood architecture all throughout the city arches um, made really huge good. arches made of antlers really good burgers <laughs> we had we had a lot of we got to go to some of the restaurants there um cowboy hats and boots yep lots of just classic wyoming i guess and seward is number five seward alaska out uh, just uh south of well i guess in the middle of kenai fjords national park so drive down from anchorage or wherever to seward which is right on the coast and it's a really cool, it's a jumping off point for your ferries, your tours of the fjords, um, but also is worth at least a day or two. It's got an awesome aquarium, world-class aquarium, and just a really quaint downtown, really nice campgrounds. And we and we'd recommend spending, if you can at all, spend two days at Kenai Fjords, one day on the water and one day on the like near the glacier. We did a day, a, like a nine-hour Northwestern Fjords tour, and then we did a long Harding Icefield hike, and that was just the perfect two days. So we would super recommend staying a day in Seward, and it's just a, an awesome little coastal fishing city. Right. So those are our runners-up because we always have to cheat a little bit and squeeze as many things into our podcast as we possibly can. So basically, visiting the National Park is going to be the highlight of any visit, but there might be times where you want to reconnect with civilization. So, And this is where the gateway cities come into play. So it's just a great way. If you have a good gateway city like this, it's a great way to balance those natural elements with some of those um, city conveniences. And like we said, who doesn't love a cool a cold beer and a really good burger, especially me with the burger, <laughs> after hiking all day and exploring the park all day? And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And definitely nothing wrong with supporting those local communities that surround the parks. Absolutely. So now we are getting to a special question Q&A section from a listener. Yeah, so let's hear what she has to say. 
Hi, Elizabeth and Cole. My name is Elisa Nobles, and I'm from Rome, Georgia. And first of all, I love listening to y'all's podcast. Um, I love traveling and seeing national parks, and so it's really cool to hear all of your stories. Secondly, I hope that I'm the first one to leave a voicemail because I keep listening to your podcast and hear that you want people to leave a voicemail, so I hope I'm the first one. Um, Also, my question for you guys is what um, or how did you pack your clothing for your travels? Um, like what were some of the articles of clothing that you took or that you, um, decided to leave behind as you were packing for this, uh, travels through a lot of different climates and that sort of thing. Thanks. Okay. So first of all, Elisa, thank you so much for the question. This is exciting because we do ask for questions and we would love to hear your voicemails after every show notes so we always post the widget the little uh, box where you can leave a voicemail just straight from your phone or just straight from your computer on so our, definitely on our blog yep on the switchbackkids.com yeah under the show notes yeah so we we would love to hear all of your questions and answer them on a future podcast if you want to leave us a voicemail go do that Hopefully it's like when you're in class and nobody wants to ask the first question, but now since Elisa did it, the floodgates are opened up. It's going to be embarrassing if no one (laughs) (laughs) asks any questions. It it is a little confusing how to figure it out. Maybe people don't want to speak into their computer, Um, but we do it all the time, every week, so it can be pretty fun. Yes, Um, for sure. So anyway, we don't necessarily feel like we're the best experts on this because we on the whole packing for a long trip thing because we had way too many clothes with with us at all times. Now, to put it in perspective, though, we say way too many, but we had one stack of those plastic drawers. If you can picture, you know, plastic drawers in a stack that goes maybe a meter high um, and a foot deep, that's the area we had to put all of our clothes. Plus, we had a lot of layers and winter clothes in a different like tote box um but i personally think that i didn't do super well at this but i will speak to the things that worked for us um and most of all i would suggest for a long multi-climate trip neutral clothes versatile clothes that can be used in different climates and trying not to double up on the function of the piece so or double up on pieces that serve the same function, I guess is what I mean. Do double up on the function of the individual piece, if that makes sense. So like some some of your clothing can be used for multiple functions. So your rain jacket can also be just a light jacket, and it can so it can serve two purposes. Um, so things like that are super helpful. But then not maybe not having another light jacket or three more light jackets or whatever the case may be. So Cole and I... And I'll speak more to this because I feel like I did a lot of the planning on how we would, you know, how we would pack, how we would organize it, and just acquiring some of these good pieces because that is also, that was also a big part of it. We wanted to have high quality gear that we knew we wouldn't have to get rid of halfway through the trip um, that would really hold up. And so what we did was we scoured Goodwills a lot and garage sales and um, other secondhand stores. REI garage sales. Yeah, for for secondhand clothes. And then, yes, REI garage sales was the second piece of that. So the 
and REI garage sales are just an amazing hub for for getting good quality gear for cheap um, beyond just clothes. Um, but that's what we did. So we acquired some good quality pieces. We also, so that which allowed us to have fewer pieces. Um, we also just accepted the fact that we were going, going to be doing laundry fairly often. So we didn't, um, we didn't necessarily pack for two weeks worth <laughs> because we knew we would be going to a laundromat more often than that. So we just accepted that as part of our routine. Yeah, maybe we packed for a week. We stretched that to two weeks, and then we did laundry every yeah, two we, weeks. Yeah, this, this is another tip, is that we were also quite disgusting. <laughs> so so I wouldn't take that just, advice from us. Yeah, come to terms with it is I, how we handled it. I liked to, on a long trip like this, I really liked to keep some designate, like designated clean clothes, cleanish clothes for sleeping in. Um, so I always had like a, a pair of long johns or like thin tights. And like a, a cotton t-shirt, not a dry fit t-shirt that was just really comfortable that I wore when I was clean. Only when I, only after I had taken a shower or something. Like in holes. <laughs> <laughs> Where they switch out their outfits. Um, but yeah, what other tips do you have? you have any tips, Cole? Yeah, the way I think about it is I, I kind of just go up my body. So start with the shoes and you got to have... First of all, your boots are a must. You got to have really good boot uh, shoes, whatever shoe you're just going to walk for miles in. Then you got to have a more comfy shoe for around camp. So that was my Chacos. And then I had, uh, so those were really the only two shoes I needed. But I also threw in a bonus shoe of Vibrams um, just because. And then you go up, so you have your, your socks. You want, I, I think you only need hiking socks. But again, really good quality, so they're not going to get holes in them after your first 15-mile day. Um, and then the pants I used, uh, I went with the zipper pants. You know, they were popular way back in middle school, but <laughs> I brought them back. So, I mean, in there, you just you, can't... You, just you. Exactly. No, hiking, zip-off hiking pants are really popular. <laughs> and they're really helpful, too, because you can have shorts and pants in the same... With just the same amount of yeah, fabric. you can't beat it. And I, yeah. I actually brought some athletic shorts because our whole thing in general was no cotton, no jeans, n- basically dry fit, quick dry, whatever. Um, s- and nylon. then I totally abandoned that philosophy when yeah, I realized. Yeah, you did. I stuck to it. Though. Yeah, you did. You did. Um, so I brought a bunch of athletic shorts, which worked well in the southeast when it was. I just needed something super light. But eventually, the only thing I ended up wearing was my one good pair of zip-off shorts. So, you know, with shorts, at least for guys, or at least for me, uh, you can wear the same pair of shorts for... Forever, according to you. Forever, basically. That's pretty gross. And then the the shirts, again, were just really light, dry fit, um, light colors, usually, and I had, you know, two long sleeves. One was a really light long sleeve. One was a heavy long sleeve. And then I had three jackets, which sounds like a lot, but one was a really packable down jacket that was super comfy. One was a soft shell that added a little bit of rain protection. And one was my um, rain jacket. And I did end up wearing all three of those at once 
in the colder weather. So that's just the key, I think, is to just have plenty of layers that you can interchange and wear one at a time, or you can stack them all on top of each yeah, other. Yeah, but they all, and again, they all serve a slightly different purpose. So I think you did a better job with that because I had a lot of random things. And I, I didn't, I underestimated comfort when I was packing. So like he said, we did all dry fit, all quick dry um, type of materials. And pretty quickly, I realized that I don't, that dry fit is just not comfortable and it wasn't as good for me as cotton. So I switched out some things when we first um, made our way back home. And so I just kind of adapted as we went along. So I don't know if you're planning a a much longer trip, um, but being flexible is helpful. You know, there are Goodwills everywhere and there's going to be a lot of clothes there that works for everybody so if you need to just supplement your wardrobe with secondhand clothes or good quality rei clothes too (laughs) and finally don't forget the accessories make sure you bring sunglasses i highly recommend quite cheap sunglasses because we probably went through four pair or something um, and then a hat you know we had a stocking cap and i also had a ball cap is a really nice uh, REI garage sale find. It was a light um, cap that just ball cap that gave me really good sun protection, you know, kept the sun out of my eyes. So uh, a buff could also serve a similar purpose. We had those along too. Um, But yeah, just make sure you have, uh, you think through those little additional things and make sure you use some type of system to keep it all organized because that's what our plastic stacking drawers did for us. Otherwise, I can see us just having clothes everywhere throughout the car the whole time. And when you're on a year-long trip, that's a lot of clothes management. And (laughs) that's just not fun. um, So the the organization system Elizabeth came up with was super clutch. Yeah, so I guess overall, versatile clothing, layers, layers is a big thing, and clothes that try, that serve specific but multiple functions are are best. And then organize it all. And then, and you'll be fine no matter what then. And be flexible. Be ready to like dump things and pick up new things and know that you can, you can always live without anything really. Yeah. Yeah. You'll be fine no matter what. (laughs) Just go in your birthday suit. There you go. No. um, Yeah. You also have. uh, Oh, very last thing. Maybe think about bringing a nicer outfit too. Because I know you really appreciated having a little bit of a nicer outfit along when we are actually going out to a restaurant or seeing friends along the road. Yeah, those um, those nice packable dresses work really really well for that purpose. Um, they they don't wrinkle. They you can wear them hiking even. They're they're comfy. They're they're kind of like an almost an athletic material. I think mine was Prana just at, for the brand, but it was um Aria garage sale. What what? So it was not expensive, and it uh, it's it was awesome. I didn't need to wear a bra with it. If you want that information, it had a, like a built-in bra, so that's that was extra helpful. And mine was just a nice button-up plaid. I mean, not nice. It was just something I would wear on the trail too, but it looked nice enough 
um, for me to go out with it too. So there you go. Probably Us way more information than you the, wanted. From the two fashionistas over here. <laughs> we like to call ourselves. So Nobody it, else does, though. Definitely nobody else. <laughs> so everybody, thanks for checking us out today. Thanks for sticking with us. We'll be back next week with another interview. And this one you're going to want to hear because this one guy is doing something incredible. So you'll have to stay tuned to hear what that is. But a little teaser, it has to do with all of our national parks. So if you enjoyed the podcast, we'd love for you to share us with a friend. Give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, check us out on SoundCloud also. Or find us on social media. And you can always get additional national parks videos, posts, guides, and more on our blog at switchbackkids.com. Switchbacks, Switchbacks out. out.